This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, my friends, we're due for a visit with Bud Abbott and Lou Costello. Now, I've featured them many times here on Theater of the Mind, and in my introductions, I've pretty well stayed on the positive side of their relationship. But I think we can look a little more deeply and find some of their history that will prove, I think, to be a bit on the sad side, but, hey, still very interesting. I think I mentioned before that the team's first known radio appearance was on the Kate Smith Hour way back in February of 1938, Bud and Lou made 36 films together between 1940 and 1956, and they were among the most popular and highest-paid entertainers in the world during World War II. Abbott and Costello faced personal demons at times. Both were inveterate gamblers and had serious health problems. Abbott suffered from epilepsy and turned to alcohol for pain management. Costello had occasional near-fatal bouts with rheumatic fever. On November 4th of 1943, the same day that Costello returned to radio after one year layoff due to illness, his infant son, Lou Jr., nicknamed Butch, died in an accidental drowning in the family's swimming pool. In the early 50s, the Internal Revenue Service charged them for back taxes, forcing them to sell their homes and most of their assets, including the rights to most of their films. In his last years, Lou Costello made about 10 solo appearances on the Steve Allen Show and headlined in Las Vegas. He died of a heart attack just days short of his 53rd birthday. Although Abbott attempted to come back in 1960, teaming with Candy Candido, uh, but the uh, new act received fairly good reviews, but Bud quit, saying no one could ever live up to Lou. Bud Abbott died of cancer April 24th of 1974. Well, let's go back to happier times, like 1946, when they had fun on their radio show. C-A-M-E-L-S The Abbott and Costello Program, starring Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, brought to you by Camel, the cigarette of costlier, properly aged tobaccos. The Abbott and Costello Program, with the music of Carl Hoff and his orchestra, our singing star Amy Arnell, and spotlighting that chunky, chubby little cherub, who went caught putting a ladder against the roof because he heard his Uncle Artie Stebbin say he was going to have one on the house, calmly said, I'm a bad boy! Costello, Costello, what are you doing? What are you doing dressed up like Napoleon Bonaparte? Well, you see, Abbott Universal Studios are going to make a picture called Napoleon and Josephine. Yes. And I'm going to play 
Please, it stands in my way. What's that? Charles Boyer. Costello, uh, <laughs> are you classing yourself with Charles Boyer? What's Boyer got that I haven't got five times as much as? <laughs> You've certainly got a lot of nerve, Costello, comparing yourself with Charles Boyer. Yeah. Do you realize that he won an Oscar for his performance in Gaslight? I was in that picture. Uh, wait a minute. I saw Gaslight. I didn't see you in it. I turn on the gas. <laughs> Never mind that. How can you compare yourself with Boyer? He, he's got charm. I got charm. Ah, he dresses like a fashion plate. I can dress like a fashion plate. And Boyer has sex appeal. I can dress like a fashion plate. <laughs> I should have quit when I was eating. But Costello Charles Boyer can make women swoon mm. by just lowering his eyelids. They call him uh, droopy eyes. It's the same thing with me. Women call you droopy eyes? No, saggy britches. Costello, Sa- <laughs> this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The picture Napoleon and Josephine calls for a great lover. Uh, for instance, like me. Like you? Uh, certainly. Why, women all fall all over me. Women fall all over you? All over the me. The dames you go out with are too old to stand up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Be serious. Be serious, Costello. Why, in my day as a dramatic actor... Women threw flowers at my feet. They threw jewelry at my feet. They even threw themselves at my feet. Ah, what has your feet got that you haven't got? Huh? <laughs> I bet you. Will you cut that out, please? The role of Napoleon calls for an experienced actor. Oh, that's me, Abbott. When I was three years old, I used to put on plays in my garage, and I charged two pins a mission. And when the show was over, I'd give the pins back. Give the pins back? What for? So the audience wouldn't lose their rumpers on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> but, Costello, please, I know. I know you're a little teeny Costello, please listen to me. In order to play the part of Napoleon, you have to have an education. Now, where did you get your education? At the corner of Hollywood and Vine. Uh, you can't... No, 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 no. You can't learn anything at the corner of Hollywood and Vine. You can on a windy day. Costello, please. Go take the, that Napoleon costume off and forget it. You don't even look like Napoleon. Oh, yes, I do have it. Look, I got my hair all slicked down and shiny. What kind of oil is that you've got on your hair? It's a new kind of oil. I got it out of a little tin can. There's only one thing wrong with it. What's that? I don't know what to do with all those little sardines. <laughs> oh, wash that sardine oil off your hair. You, you have a bunch of cats following you. Oh, I don't like cats. I even know a woman who lives with cats. Who? Mrs. Katz. Cat- <laughs> Hello, that's a no joke. Ah, Mr. Katz is an old man. I should have quit when I was even. Now, look, I refuse to discuss this any longer, Costello. Napoleon was a romantic thief. Yeah. He had a lot of women in his life. Have you ever been out with the opposite sex? No, but it wasn't my fault. It wasn't your fault? No, my mother wouldn't tell me which was the opposite sex. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Will you please talk sense, Costello? I'm just... <laughs> listen to me, please. I'm just going to see how you would play a love scene with a girl. Now, let's pretend that I'm the first girl you ever met in your life. I just... sure start out with a dog, don't I? No, 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 Forget how I look. Just just say to yourself that I'm a beautiful girl. <laughs> well, come I on. I couldn't be that sort, sort of... All right. <laughs> Boy, those Dr. Cowan's get you, don't Oh, me? they certainly do. Well, just remember that old adage, beauty is only skin deep. Well, go out and skin yourself and come back in. There you go, Costell. I try to help you, and you haven't got the intelligence to appreciate it. You haven't got the brain of a two-year-old child. Yeah, but look at the difference in our ages. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to give you one more chance. Now, I'm your girlfriend, Gladys. I'm sitting in the parlor by the fire reading a book. What are you reading? Uh, Forever Amber. 
What do you want with a fire? <laughs> yes, never mind. Please. I'm sitting there waiting for you to knock on the front door. Well, here I am, darling. Wait a minute. You didn't knock on the front door. I sneaked in the back door. I used to be a nice man. I, look, well, all right. Now, now you're in. Now, uh, sit, here, sit down here. Sit down here by me on the sofa. Now, okay. Don't, don't sit way over there. Move closer. I, I'm your girlfriend, remember? Mm-hmm. Move closer. How's this? Oh, no, 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 no. A little closer. Uh, closer. Closer. Costello. How do you like that? I went right past her. <laughs> I told you you didn't know how to make love to a girl tonight. I'll have to show you how to make love. Now, you be the girl, and I'll come to call on you. Uh, what kind of a girl am I? Am I pretty? Oh, what difference does it make? I don't care if you're cross-eyed and bow-legged as long as you're a girl. Oh, you men are all alike. Oh. <laughs> all right, all right, Costello. You're a 23-year-old girl, and you're, you're lying on the floor playing with your dogs. How do you like that? A girl, 23 years old, playing with her feet. Look, <laughs> Costello, please, I'll show you how to make love to a girl. Remember, you're the girl now, and, and I'm coming to call on you. Now, here I come. Well, Costello, why don't you answer the door? I'm just showing you I'm hard to get. <laughs> I'm not going to open it up the Never first mind, time. Never mind, I'm coming. I'm coming in anyway. <laughs> what are you screaming for? I'm taking a bath, you. You're, you're, taking a, <laughs> you're taking a bath? Yes, I just finished my dinner. What's finishing your dinner got to do with you being in the bathtub? I'm taking a bath and washing the dishes at the same time. I give up. I'm through. Oh, no, Abbott. Don't give up. Please give me another chance. Oh, all right. Now, here I come again to call on you. Now, I told you that I was going to teach you how to make love to, uh, to a girl. This time, I'm going through with it. Now, come into my arms. No, Abbott. No. Stella. I won't. No. Stop pushing me. Do you hear? <laughs> Why did you push me out of the window? I had to, Abbott. I thought I heard my husband coming. And here's Carl Hoff and the Camel Orchestra with a great new arrangement, You've Got Me Crying Again. Is, uh, is too stubby. That's easy, Abbott. They taped up my nose. They taped up your nose? Yeah. 
How did you smell? Not bad. Right. <laughs> hey, you know I'm a sissy get the part of Napoleon? Hello, Luke Costello speaking. Just a moment, Mr. Costello. The president of Universal wants to speak to you. I told you, Abbott, this is it. Here's your party, Mr. Bloomberg. Hello, Costello. Yes, Mr. Bloomberg? Costello, you were out here this morning testing for the part of Napoleon. Yes, I was. Well, I want you to get out here to the studio right away. For the part? No, you left your hat here. <laughs> <laughs> How do you like that, Abbott? They turned me down. They can't do that to me. The great Shakespearean actor. Why, I played Romeo and Juliet all last year at the Hippodrome Theater in New York. I had dope. The Hippodrome Theater has been closed for five years. It has? No wonder I didn't get any applause. <laughs> Abbott, lots of my fans would like to see me play Napoleon. Oh, why don't you stop this, Costello? I'll prove it to you, Abbott. Let's go out and take a poll from door to door. Come on. Hey, let's stop at this house. My old girlfriend. Tessie Tinfoil. She lives here. Oh, men, come in. <laughs> Tessie, Tessie, you don't look so good today. I don't feel so good. I bought eight bottles of leg makeup, and I'm having a terrible time. What seems to be the trouble? How many bottles do you have to drink before the stuff goes to your legs? <laughs> Look, Tessie, I'm making a house-to-house poll How would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? Oh, I think you'd be marvelous, lover boy <laughs> Maybe I could play your leading lady, Josephine No, I'm afraid not, Tessie In the first place, you're too fat And to come to think of it, you're too fat in the second place, too <laughs> Well, don't, don't be discouraged, Costello Hey, Mr. Costello, will you give me your autograph? Why, certainly, little boy Here Hey, Ma, I win the lollipop. I told you that jerk could write. Come here, myself. Get away from that kid. Down here. Let's try this next door. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're all right, ain't you? I'm Lou Costello. How would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? Oh, that would be dandy. You are my favorite star, Mr. Costello. I think you're the finest actor in pictures. I think you're the funniest man on the radio. Thank you. I have an autographed picture of you that I would like to hang up in my room, but I can't. Why can't you hang it up? Well, I can't find a nail long enough to go through the padding on my cell. <laughs> <laughs> Costello, you see? Wise guy, do you realize that the only people who love you are dumbbells? Thank you, Abbott. How do you think you can? Here, here, careful. Uh, Pardon me, Mr. Costello, could I have your autograph? I just gave you my autograph a few minutes ago. I know, but you wrote it on the same page with Charles Lawton. So what? His autograph held its nose and kicked yours off the page. Get out of here, get out of here! Costello, leave that kid alone! Leave him alone! Who's writing for you? Now, wait a minute, just a minute. <laughs> Leave those children alone. Hey, look, Costello, here comes your old friend, Scotty Brown. A hood model, that is. Scotty, what have you got under your arm? Well, it's a book of ghost stories. And my wife just had a new baby. What has ghost stories got to do with a new baby? Well, I read my wife the ghost stories, and her teeth chatter so loud, I don't need a rattle for the baby. <laughs> <laughs> look, Scotty, how would you like to see me on a screen as Napoleon? I would not be interested, laddie. I do not go to theaters anymore. Why not, Scotty? Well, I used to live 12 blocks from a theater, but now we've moved two blocks further away. Well, what's, what's that got to do with it? 
Well, I don't finish dinner until five minutes to six, and now, no matter how fast I run, I can't get there before the prices change. So long, <laughs> Oh, come on, Costello. Let's try another house. Uh, pardon me, Mr. Costello. Could I have your autograph? Now, wait a minute, kid. I've given you my autograph three times. What do you do with my autograph? Well, if I get three more of yours, I can trade it for one of Trigger's footprints. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Ouch! And Costello. What did you do? I just gave him one of my footprints. <laughs> oh, forget him. Come on. Oh, I'm back with a little beeper now. Never mind that. Let's, let's try this door over here. Come on. Oh, hello, Mr. Rabbit. Oh, you dear man. Don't tell me you're selling washing machines. Oh, pardon me. That tub is Costello. <laughs> you better close that door quick, Mrs. Niles. You're liable to get arrested for indecent exposure. Indecent exposure? Yes, ma'am. You're out here in broad daylight with your face showing. <laughs> I heard that remark, Costello. What do you mean by insulting my wife that way? Because I don't know any other way. <laughs> now, tell me, Ken. Was Mrs. Niles just as homely the day you proposed to her? Well, I don't know. She was catching for the Brooklyn Dodgers and had her mask on. <laughs> One more remark like that and I'll cut the string on your yo-yo. Uh, <laughs> please, please, folks, please. Let's stop arguing. Costello, uh, Costello came here to ask you if you'd like to see him on the screen as Napoleon. I'd rather see him with Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon is dead. You catch on fast, fat boy. <laughs> Darling, you certainly told Costello off that time. Oh, you're so wonderful. You fill the breeze with a heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. You're the one that fills the breeze with heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. I insist you fill the breeze with heavenly perfume. Oh, no, dear. I insist you fill the breeze with heavenly perfume. Run for cover, folks. We caught a couple of skunks in our traps. <laughs> Popular request, Camel's lovely Amy Arnell sings. Give me a little kiss, will ya, huh? What are you gonna miss, will ya, huh? Gosh, old Jeep, why do you refuse? I can't see what you got to lose. Oh, give me a little squeeze, will ya, huh? Why do you wanna make me blue?
Well, Costello, you'll never convince Universal Studios that you can play the part of Napoleon. Yes, I will. No, you Ladies and gentlemen of our studio audience, I'm about to put on a play in which I will star in the role of Napoleon. No, no, not that. We're not going to sit through that. Oh, what a lousy actor. Open the doors, Lydia. <laughs> hey, Costello, look. Look, it's Millenhead down there in the audience. Now, just a minute, Millenhead. I dare you to come up here on the stage. All right, I'll come up there on the stage. Yeah, well, come on up there. All right, wise guy. Now I'm up on the stage. Well, now that you're up on the stage, I dare you to come over here and put your hand on my shoulder. All right, I'll put my hand on your shoulder. There, now I've got my hand on your shoulder. Now what? Let's dance. Let's tell a lot. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Melonhead is right about your acting, Costello, and he knows. He's a producer at Universal. Producer, Abbott? I'll have you know that I was head producer. And look at that head you produced. Ah! <laughs> there we go, there we go. There you go with those insulting remarks again, Costello. You, you get in my hair. Okay, but I'll have to wear my sneakers. It looks awful slippery up there. <laughs> Costello, now, maybe if you talk nice to Melonhead, he'd direct your play for you. Melonhead, could you make another Charles Boyer out of me? Costello, I could not only make a Charles Boyer out of you, but I'd have enough fat left over to make a case of life, Boyer. <laughs> All right, now to the play. Costello, you will play Napoleon. Abbott here will be your friend Talleyrand, and Mrs. Niles here, she'll play your wife, Josephine. Ah, why does Mrs. Niles always have to play my wife? Why can't I have a young girl like Ingrid Bergman? Costello, I've got everything that Ingrid Bergman has. Yeah, but why do you let yours get so shabby? <laughs> Enough of this. Enough of this, Costello. Let's get on with the play. Mr. Niles, will you please set the scene? Ladies and gentlemen, we present a stirring French drama entitled How Napoleon Lost the Battle of Waterloo, or Costello Gets Caught with His France Down. <laughs> As our scene opens, we find Napoleon sitting in the throne room, waiting for his wife, Josephine, to enter. Good morning, Your Majesty. Ah, oh, come in, Josephine. Bonjour, my bone, Josephine. Pull up a bone chair and have a box of bonbons. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Costello. Why do you put bone in front of everything? Because, says Napoleon, I want to give the bone a pot. Wow! Could you please sit down, Napoleon? And why do you always stand with your hands stuck inside your coat? That's where I hide my butter. <laughs> Napoleon, I have come to you for some money. I'm sorry, Josephine, but the royal coffers are in bad shape. The royal coffers are in bad shape? Yes, listen. <coughs> that's enough, that's enough. Coffers, don't overdo it. <coughs> That last cost caught us $35 more. Napoleon, I tell you, I need money. You've given away all my jewels to Madame Dewberry. Yesterday, you gave her my diamond tiara. What do you care about your tiara? You still have your boom, D.A. Uh. <laughs> but, Josephine, here is something to replace the tiara. It's a gift from America. It's called tobacco. And it was discovered in Shemokin, Pennsylvania. Shemokin? Shemokin, Pennsylvania? Yes, it's called Shemokin tobacco. <laughs> oh, I'm having trouble with my subjects I can't do a thing with my subjects Who are you, the king? No, just a high school student <laughs> <laughs> Your 
Your Majesty, Talleyrand has just come in. Good. I had two bucks on his nose. No. I mean, I mean... No, no, Costello. Look, Talleyrand isn't a horse. It's Abbott. Oh, a jackass. Yeah. All right, Costello. <laughs> Stick to the play. <clears throat> uh, Your Majesty, I bring great tidings from the battlefield. Rome is about to fall. Let us drink a toast. Napoleon, you've been drinking too much lately. Drink uh, water. Uh, okay, whatever it is, here's to victory. <laughs> What was that? Rome just fell. Oh, we must have a grand ball to celebrate our victory. Napoleon, you must wear the new powdered wig I brought you. I refuse to wear it again. Well, it's made out of hair from your horse's tail. No wonder it keeps swatting flies and knocking my hat off. <laughs> Madame Josephine, Madame Josephine, I have come to fix your hair. Wait a minute, who are you? Monsieur, I am a lady in waiting. Well, what are we waiting for? <laughs> Come on over here and kiss your poor old father. Castello, stick to your lines. I'd much rather stick to hers. <laughs> Get your hands off that girl or I'll have her sent to the guillotine. Yes, Your Majesty. You wouldn't want me if I lost my head. I don't know. There'll still be enough left to have a date with. <laughs> Talleyrand has just come in. Must have been scratched in the last race. <laughs> Talk sense, Costello. Uh, I bring you bad news from Russia. You, you must go to your troops at once. But remember, it's freezing cold in Russia. I will fix you a lunch. Would you like a nice hot dish? Yes. Yvonne, come here and kiss your poor old father. <laughs> Costello, do you realize that Universal Studios is listening to this play? I refuse to direct this play any longer unless everybody takes orders from me. Okay, Melonhead, you give the order. Thanks, Costello. Yvonne, come here and kiss your poor old director. Can I get out? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Come on, break this up. Costello is my only director. Yeah, Emma. Can you break this up, please? Now, let's get back to the play. Come on, Napoleon. Let us drink a toast to our coming victory in uh uh-uh, uh, Napoleon, you must drink water, remember? Oh, darn it. I'll be glad when they exile me to that island. Then I can bend my elbow. <laughs> <laughs> Come, Napoleon, kiss Josephine goodbye. We must join your troops. Goodbye, bad Josephine. <laughs> Josephine, your nose is wet. You kissed your horse. I'm over here. <laughs> now, come over here and kiss me. I should have quit when I was even. <laughs> This is the village of Waterloo. Your troops are taking a terrible beating. Just listen. Oh, you poor man. I am Napoleon. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, get a larger cast. I'm sick and tired of the whole thing. Napoleon! I've come to ask your surrender. I'm well. You have been defeated. Very well, Wellington. Let us speak a toast to your victory. Remember, Napoleon, you can't drink liquor. But I'm not really Napoleon. I'm Lou Costello. Well, in that case, here's your water, Lou. Waterloo? <laughs> Waterloo, Nick, that's a joke, folks. That's a joke. Costello will be back for Camel Cigarettes in just a moment. And now, tonight's salute to the men in the armed forces who won through to victory. 
Tonight, we hail the 101st Screaming Eagle Airborne Division, heroes of the Normandy invasion and holders of the Distinguished Unit Citation for their heroic resistance to Rundstedt's winter offensive at Bastogne. Since the beginning of the war, the makers of camels have sent more than 150 million free camels to our fighting men overseas. But now, with demobilization in progress, free camels are sent to servicemen's hospitals instead. This week, the camels go to Veterans Hospital, Bedford, Massachusetts, U.S. Army Moore General Hospital, Swannanoa, North Carolina, U.S. Naval Hospital, Farragut, Idaho, U.S. Marine Hospital, Cleveland, Ohio, and Veterans Hospital, Amarillo, Texas, in your honor, men of the Screaming Eagle Division. Camel broadcasts throughout the United States twice a week are rebroadcast to practically every area in the world where our men are stationed and to our good neighbors in Central and South America. And now here, Bud and Lou, with a final word. Well, Napoleon, what have you got to say? Here I am, the great Napoleon, exiled to the island of Alpha. All my friends have deserted me. Here I am all alone. Nobody loves me. (laughs) I love you. Who was that? Look up here in this tree. Oh, an old monkey. Yes. Come here, Costello. What do you want? Come here and kiss your poor old father. Good night, folks. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night, Costello Show brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. And remember, try camels in your tea zone. See if they don't suit your taste, your throat, to a tea. C-A-M-E-L-S Be sure to listen at this very same time next week for another Abbott and Costello show for Camel Cigarettes. Thursday night is All-Star Night on NBC. Stay around now for Rudy Valio for most of these stations. This is Ken Niles in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night for Camel. This is NBC, Stay tuned for Philip Marlowe next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now it's time for Philip Marlowe and the episode that first aired in 1950, A Monkey's Uncle. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. This time I tangled with a mad Scotchman, a phony English lord and a beautiful blonde corpse in a freight house, all because of a butler who walked on his knuckles. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Monkey's Uncle. Hello. This is Philip Marlowe, please. It's very important. Mrs. Marlowe. Oh, thank heavens. You're still in your office at this late hour, Mr. Marlowe. I must have your help at once. What? Cornelius' life is in danger, man, and time means everything. Now, sir, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who way. are you? Who's Cornelius? Where are you calling from and about what? Let's have it a slow step at a time, huh? Hey, my name's Wesley Macduff, Mr. Marlowe. All right, lead on, Macduff. I'm calling from a telephone booth opposite the Beekman Plaza Hotel on Hollywood Boulevard, where... 
Ashley Duke. Ashley who? Going for the Bakeman Plaza. Lord Ashley Duke himself across the street. Now, wait a minute, I've got let's... to get to him. Mr. Marlowe, hurry. Meet me in the hotel lobby. Yes, but... Whitman, we've got to stop them. They're going to kill Cornelius. My first reaction was to forget the whole thing. Curiosity is strong stuff with me. Any triumvirate labeled Wesley McDuff, Lord Ashley Duke, and Cornelius had to add up to screwball no matter where you started. The word kill was still big in my vocabulary, so I buttoned the office up quickly, got down in my car, and drove over to the Beekman Plaza Hotel, where a ten-minute stand in the lobby produced nothing closer to worried Scotchman than the plaid covering in a sagging Morris chair. And at the reception desk, there was no Wesley McDuff registered or ever heard of. I'm sorry, sir. So at that, I was ready to call it quits. I turned for the door, but before I got there, I was stopped. The uniform said bellhop, and the sprinkle of freckles plus Bon Cowlick said all-American boy. But the shifty eyes and the narrow mouth that slid over to the side of his face when he talked said something else, like racetrack talk. Say, uh, pardon me, sir, but uh, I happened to overhear you ask after a Scotchman. Uh, Wesley McDuff, was it? Yeah, you know where he is? Well, uh, yes, and... Uh... Yes, and uh, how much? Ten? Five. Okay, sport five. Mm. But let's get out of the traffic, huh? Over here under this map, like I was pointing out something to you. That's a fresh idea. Thanks. Uh, the Viva? Oh, here. Now, uh, where's McDuff? On his way to Burbank, dead drunk. You're crazy. I talked to him less than half an hour ago. He was stone sober and a long way from the party mood. Mm, could be. But 15 minutes ago, I helped Lord Ashley Duke pile him into a cab. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Ashley Duke, how does he fit? Uh, he found this McDuff in the alley outside. Oh. I was just coming back from dinner when I saw him pick the guy up. He couldn't say a word. Uh-huh. But a blue shield medical card we found in his wallet read Wesley McDuff, 13 Vineland Avenue, Burbank. Boy, he was out colder than my old yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Now, listen, Junior, here's another five. Fill me in fast. Who's Lord Ashley Duke? A nightclub character. Entertainer. Lives here with his wife, uh, Lady Ashley Duke, when they're in L.A. Well, this, um, is he legitimate, this Lord business? Nah, nah, but he plays it to the hilt. Why, after we piled that McDuff into the cab, he dusted his white gloves off, genteel-like, <laughs> slipped the monocle he wears into his eye, and grabbed another cab and shoved. Mm. He's a phony. His real name is Bert Dukes, and Milady is Gert. And on her, it shows. What do you mean, shows? That the second she gets behind her door, uh, they got Suite 312, she climbs out of her accent like it was a tight girdle. Mm. Especially when she and that niece of hers go at it. Uh, uh, yes, sir, the famous Merrimack cabins are on Route 66 near St. Louis. Oh, good evening, Mr. Fisher. Good evening, Tom. Okay, where were we? The niece, the niece. Oh, yeah, quite a doll. Her name's Merle Brimmer. Acts as a business manager, so she must also have brains. Now, tell me, who's Cornelius? Cornelius? Yeah. <laughs> What's breaking you up? Who is he? Nobody but the star of the act. The Lord and Lady do a farce thing, uh, a takeoff on English drawing room stuff, and Cornelius plays the butler. Plays it in a derby and a boiled shirt, no less. Well, why the giggles? You've seen a derby and boiled shirt before? Yeah, yeah, sure I have. But on Cornelius, it looks different. You see, mister, he's a chimpanzee. The affair Cornelius definitely added screwball. But I also knew that prospective client Macduff had been sapped and piled into a cab for good riddance which could add to less than funny. So I decided I'd look around a little longer, especially in the vicinity of Milady's chamber, number 312. When I stepped out of the elevator on the third floor, an owl-faced waiter was just piloting a dinner cart loaded down with dirty dishes out of the room. And when the cart joggled out of the corridor rug, it nearly upset a coffee pot, which left the waiter's mind on the juxtaposition of cart and pot and not the door. It he left open inches. I waited till he passed me. 
Then I moved up to where I could both see and hear Lady Ashley Duke and her niece Merle exploding at each other through an after-dinner conversation. The former was built like an upended blimp with as much charm as a mooring mast. The latter was blonde and female, spy beautiful. And also, she was nonchalantly slipping a shiny 32 automatic from desk drawer to purse. Oh, now, wait a minute, Kurt. Before you snap a stay, you listen to me. Why? So you can explain once more how poor Uncle Bird's idiotic mistakes are just bad luck. Ten thousand bucks worth of bad luck. Nuts. Bird don't know anything about investments. He shouldn't be allowed to touch a red cent. And my pretty, from here on out, that's exactly the way it's going to be. Believe me. Oh, cut it, Gert, and quit blaming Uncle Bert and me. Are you kidding? Why shouldn't I blame the two of you? He's a jerk, and you... I never wanted you with us in the first place, my niece. <laughs> oh, shut up. And remember, dear aunt, your husband likes me around. I'm good for his morale, he says. He'll never let you fire me. So don't waste your breath. Auntie, get out of here. Go on, get down to the freight house and keep your eyes open. We don't want to lose Cornelius. Don't worry, darling. Guard duty's an old specialty of mine. Yes, who is it? Name's Marlowe. I'd like to see Lord Ashley Duke. Oh, well, I... Oh, well... Uh, yes. <laughs> He's not in, but what did you want to see him about? Oh, uh, business. Can you help me? Perhaps. You see, I'm his so business... She used to be his business manager. She was just leaving, weren't you, Merle, darling? Yes, Merle, darling, was. Mr. Marlowe, Lady Ashley Duke. Goodbye, Auntie. Unhappy, huh? Oh, rather. Uh, now, sir, to save each other's time, let me be blunt. Lord Ashley Duke is no longer interested in making any investments whatsoever, nor will he be interested at a future date. Is that clear, sir? Yes, like well water, Lady Ashley Duke, and if I were looking for an investor, I'd keep it in mind. But you see, I'm a private detective working for Wesley Macduff. A paper? A lousy paper pushing his way uh, in here. Why are you... Easy, easy, Gertie. Let go. Get your filthy hands off me. Sure. Just as soon as you get back in a neutral. I also want to save us time, and I want to save Cornelius, too. How do we talk or wrestle? Which? Oh, all right. Seven weeks ago, Lord Ashley Duke and I bought Cornelius from that crazy monkey razor out in Burbank. I paid Macduff $30,000 for a run-down 17-year-old chimpanzee. Well, then why do you want to kill him? Macduff thinks you're going to. Yeah, Macduff's crazy. Just because we change our minds and instead of staying here in L.A., decide to go on the road. Macduff thinks Cornelius will catch cold and die. So he wants him back. Yeah, but you'll get your money back. Yeah. But what about the seven weeks of work just to teach him to drop a glass? Not only that, he's a wonderful imitator. I can see your point. Besides, a deal's a deal. And we're taking the risk of Cornelius' death, not the loon who runs that Burbank animal farm. Why, that Scotchman thinks every animal in the joint's related to him. <laughs> it's an old idea, honey. But look, Lady That's Ash... what? We've had our talk, people. Now get out. Go on. Go on, get out before I forget I'm uh, a lady. Over here, Tompkins. What is it? A telephone call, sir. Booth four this way, please. Make out all right up there? Jim Dandy. Good. Now, uh... If you feel I was underpaid... I feel we came out even, Buster. Besides, I'm running low on farthings. Unless, uh... Yes? You know where the freight house Cornelius calls home is located. Uh-uh. Blank. Okay. So long, Tompkins. Hello? Mr. Monroe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You all right, McDuff? Hey, it takes more than a foul blow in the dark to stop me, man. 
is just what Lord Ashley Duke is going to discover in many minutes. What do you mean? That I've run out of patience. I ain't going to act, not talk. I'm about to take Cornelius back with my own hands, and I want you to help me. Oh, now, wait a minute. Now, man, I'm in a drugstore at Pershing Square, close by the freight house where Cornelius is caged for shipment. I want you to But you me. can't steal him, Macduff. Ah, I, I can. Steal him and disguise the animal so they'll never be able to claim him again. So they won't be able to kill him. Oh, Macduff, I can't go along with that. Then I chose the wrong man. Oh. There's precious little time left, Mr. Marlowe. Tomorrow they leave Los Angeles. Now, will you help me? No. Beside Macduff, you'll never get away with it. There's a girl, Ashley Duke's niece, who's got a gun, and I... Macduff! Macduff! All the way from the phone booth through the lobby into my car outside, I kept telling myself three things. One, I wasn't working for Macduff. Two, Macduff was about to commit a crime. And three, I couldn't worry about the gun in Merle Brimmer's purse. It was all none of my business. So when I was in behind the wheel of my car, I pointed it toward my apartment on Franklin, lit a cigarette, and forgot about the whole thing. But a block later, I threw the cigarette out, turned, and headed for Pershing Square. Scots with animal farms in Burbank obviously weren't the only crazy people in Los Angeles. After arriving at Pershing Square, I was 30 minutes piling up wisecracks, frozen stairs, and assorted giggles before I hit pay dirt. A bottle boy with a great memory. Yeah, sure, I know the place. Only spot around, it'll ship live animals along with the rest of the stuff that they handle. Anything from an eel to an elephant. How about pink ones? You got those, too. That's what I thought. Yeah, I worked there once during, <clears throat> during the Christmas rush. Made the price of a fifth in one day. Now, I... look, look, you'll do it again right now if you can tell me one thing. The address, what is it? It's uh, yeah. 44... Come on, come on. 42... Stick with it. Uh, yeah. 4th Street. boy. <laughs> Here's five. Crawl back in the bottle. I'll see you. The neighborhood was half residential, half industrial, and all run down including the freight house, which was two windowless stories of dirty red brick hovering over a loading ramp on a deserted, shadowy street. I started slowly toward it, when suddenly a side door flew open and an excited old man with flashlight and giant key ring that spelled Night Watchman leaped out of the building, arms and legs going like twin beaters on a mix master. Hey, hey, Pop! Hold it, is it the chimp? Yes, and he's raising the roof in there. Yeah? If I shoot him, I... I'll be fired. He's worth a fortune. Yeah, I know all about it. Come on, I'll give you a hand. Oh, okay, good. Well, let's go. Where is he? Upstairs. Hanging in one window at the back. I just turned the lights on and there he was. Oh. When he seen me, he grabbed a stick from the floor and started beating things with oh, it. Oh, fine. And then he broke the window and began to swing on the block and tackle. He runs outside from the roof to the ground. Look, there he is. Yeah, still beating. Hey, Doc, Bobby's going to fling it. There he goes, down the roof. And away. Well... All right, Pop, we better call the Look, cops. Over there, near his empty cage. It's a girl. Blood all over her head. Holy smoke. Merle Brimmer. She did? Yeah. Beat to death with a stick the chimp just threw at us. Then, then you think the monkey did it? I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. He's a great imitator, Pop. It could have been somebody else. Not the monkey? Then who? Who else? The monkey's uncle. A Scotchman named Macduff. 
In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, Groucho Marx will make another of his famed personal appearances on most of the same CBS stations this Wednesday night. Groucho Marx, whose many activities include emceeing You Bet Your Life, one of the craziest quiz shows on the air. You're cordially invited to hear Groucho Marx every Wednesday on CBS. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Monkey's Uncle. I walked around the body of the girl on the freight house floor. I took a close look at the cage lock. There was no doubt that it had been forced from the outside. The watchman staring down at the body was shaking like a motorcycle with square wheels. So I took him by the arm and walked him down the stairs and outside for some air. It's, it's terrible. I don't know what to do. Nothing like this ever happened here before, and the boss never told me what I'm supposed to do in a case like this. Well, it's I... easy. Just call the police. The police? Yeah. Also the SPCA and Frank Buck. Chances are we'll need them all before the night's over. Okay, mister. Thanks. I should... Hey, who's that getting out of that cab? From the top hat cape and spats, I'd say it was one Lord Ashley Duke, the legal owner of the chimp. Oh, what are you two blighters staring at him? Out of my way. Uh, just a moment, just a moment before you go inside. I want to talk to you, Lord Ashley Duke. Huh? You know my name, do you? Well, now, my Joe, that's interesting. I don't know you, sir. I'll survive. Why'd you come down here tonight? Because I heard that my niece was here protecting my property. And that's no suitable task for a girl. Not capable to do that sort of thing, you know. It's a man's job, you know. Had a beastly time finding the place, too. You haven't been here before, huh? Oh, yes, yes. A couple of days ago. That, that, that was in broad daylight. Uh, stand aside, One sir. thing more. Hmm? Why did you slug Wesley McDuff tonight and dump him in a cab? Just who are you, anyway? Private detective Philip Marlowe's name. Hmm. Hmm. Sounds British enough. About as British as you are. Hmm? Oh, yeah. And you, I presume, are the watchman. Yes, sir. That's me, your highness. What about Macduff, your highness? There's no choice. The blighter wanted to welch on the transaction we've made. I refused and he threatened me. So I bopped him. And then made out he was intoxicated, you know. Packed him off in a cabin. Oh, oh. Nevertheless, when a man sells me a monkey, by George, that monkey is mine. And thought that treatment might bring Macduff to his bloody senses. Well, it didn't. It made him tougher. And what's more, the chimpanzee is gone. And Cornelius is gone. Hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Come on, Pop. Okay. That's the way she was when we found her. And that crazy monkey was in here just jumping up and down like he was throwing a fit. It was Macduff. Macduff, that's who it was. That madman. Hurry, mackerel. What was that? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. You stay here. The scream had come from the architectural blunder next door. It was one of those big gingerbread houses left over from the 1800s, and I got there just in time to meet the witch. The scaly front portal was jerked open in front of me, and there she stood. Like a pool cue in high panic, topped by a head of brittle orange hair, half down up tight in curlers, the other half streaming over her face. She clutched frantically at the stained kimono with one hand and me with the other one. Take it easy. Hold it, will you? What's going on? Oh, oh, that face, that awful face. What face? The ugly thing I ever seen. Oh, protect me. It's a fear. All right, take it easy. Will you calm down and tell me what happened? I was upstairs in my room taking my yeah. hair down. When I happened to look over at the window, and there was that face. Shoved right up against the glass. 
Oh, I swear, I've never seen nothing like that thing before I took the cure, mister. All right, now listen, I... hair all over it, red eyes and big grinning mouth. What was like one of them giant gorillas they got in the movie. That's Cornelius, all right. Where's the room? Oh, up there at the head of them stairs. Oh. Hey, you ain't going up there and leave me all alone, are you? Well, then come along. Corny's a trained chimp. He won't hurt you. Oh, no, not me, brother. I'm getting... Where? Where? Tell me, is that a passage out there between the houses? Oh, no, no, it's a kind of an airship. Only it's closed up at the back. Oh, you mean he can't get through to the alley? Yeah, yeah, that's right. There's no way out of there except the street. All right, come on, let's get outside. We got him cornered. Oh, you got him cornered, baby, mister, not me. I don't want nothing more to do with that ugly puss. The air shaft was a scant 18 inches wide. And as dark and cluttered as the inside of a goat pen with odors to match. I worked my way back as far as the bashful light from the street reached. Oh, be careful in there, mister. And I stopped and listened. But Cornelius was a genius. There wasn't a sound. And I couldn't see my hand in front of my face to say nothing of a black-haired chimpanzee who was no doubt getting a big kick out of the entire procedure. I decided to try psychology on him. So I called in what I hoped was a firm but friendly voice and it got me no place. I groped my way along the wall of the drain pipe and called again. This time shorter on the friendly and longer on the firm, which was a mistake. The drain pipe should have given me a hint, but it didn't. Oh! Oh! What? What? What's the matter? He's gone. Hold on, who? Who, who's gone? That gorilla. Oh. It, it was up on the drain pipe. <clears throat> it hit you on the head with something that <clears throat> ran right past me and oh. got away in a taxi. Oh, come on, let's get out. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, baby. I I could have sworn you said the, the monkey took a taxi. Yeah, it did. I watched the whole oh, thing. Oh, my. As soon as it got out in the street, a man in a checkered oh. tan with a crooked stick in his hand came out from between them buildings over there and called it. Uh. They ran up to a taxi. The driver jumped out and they drove away. I seen him. The driver jumped out and they drove away? Yeah, I don't think you took the cure soon enough. Well, I seen something else, too. Huh? A fat breed in a high hat and spats came charging out of the freight house yeah. there, saw the cab leaving, got in a green coupe that green was parked coupe. in front and took off. Holy after. smoke, that's my car. Yeah, oh, it's gone. How do you like that? Yeah. Now maybe you believe me, huh? Every screwy word, sweetheart. Now, look, you didn't happen to see... Cab driver there. Did anybody see what happened? I gotta have a witness. My taxi was hijacked off of me by two crazy guys. One of them looked like an ape, exactly like an ape. Move over, bud. We're on the same raft. My car's gone too. Tell me what happened. Will you start at the top? Okay. Tonight I bring this big shot in a high hat down here to the freight house. He hops out, tells me to wait. See? Yeah. So I drive down the block and turn around. I I'm parked right over there, trying to grab a quick forty winks. When up comes this loon. A Scotchman. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. He throws me a fast address and starts getting in, see? I politely tell him the flag is down, but he keeps calm. You see, it's just yeah, like Yeah, yeah, I, I know. Said. It's just like it. Now, look, did you ever see this Scotchman before? No, never. I figure maybe he's got a snood full of happy days, nothing more. Uh-huh. So I'm reaching over to block him when a pair of hands that feels like a doormat with muscles mm. grabs me around the neck. I twist around and look. And what do I see? Cornelius. Him I don't know, but an ape man is crawling in my wind. So help me, I'm rubbing noses with a missing link. Yeah, I know. Then what happened? Mac, I jump out of the taxi, and before I know it, the old geezer gives me a claw with his stick, piles in, the next thing, my taxi's gone just like that. You gotta believe me, somebody's gotta back me up. <laughs> if I try this on the cops, they'll have me in a padded cell in no time. Well, don't worry about it, fella. Just reach hard for that address the Scotchman gave you. Can you remember it? Oh, sure. 
uh, let me see. It was the uh, the the Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a down at the hills motel out on Vernon, mm. somewhere around the Beverly Boulevard. Ed Nathan's oh, stepped on something here on the sidewalk. Oh, you sure did, cutie. Smashed it too. It looks like somebody's watch crystal. Sure, ladies' watch crystal. Oh, a nice one. See, it had this hunk of black ribbon with it. Ladies, what? Hey, wait a minute. Let me see that. Sure, here. It's velvet. See? Yeah, yeah, it sure is. It doesn't fit not here. No one's been here but the three of us and the chimp. So long, kids. Hey, hey, wait. Where are you I'm going to talk to a liar about a murder. I'll see you later at headquarters, I hope. What about my time? Talk to the night watchman in the freight house. You'll be good for each other. I was two blocks on foot finding another taxi in 15 minutes getting from there out to the motel, worrying all the way because I'd left my gun under the front seat of my car. Business was slow at the Rushmore. The only cabin that showed a light was the last in the rear next to the alley. I was sure of what I'd find inside. In spite of the fact that neither the stolen cab nor my coupe was any place in sight. When I heard the voices, I decided to bluff it. I went up to the front door and pressed my ear against the flimsy panel. Anyway, a bargain's a bargain, my doves. You'd have done better to stick by it. They'd have stuck by it if ye had your scurvy crook. Ah, don't reach for your chain. It's a little late for that. You're in a real jam now. I'm going to see you blame for my niece's murder. But I didn't kill her. I pushed her down. I. Yeah. She caught me unlucky Cornelius Cage and tried to stop me. But I didn't kill her. You did that. Yes, yes, but who knows that? Except you and the monk there. And he can't talk. And you won't, believe me. Ah, you daft man. Why did you do it? Because I had to. Because Merle was bleeding me to death. Every cent I could lay my hands on. I had to buy her silence. I had to pretend to lose thousands in poor investments. Well... Merle got what was coming to her, and you gave me that chance. I found her on the floor where you left her and simply finished the job. Then you ran off and came back in that taxi 15 minutes later, the very spirit of innocence. I saw you. Very well, Lord Ashley Duke. You've got me as a thief, too, so get on with it. Get on with your filthy evil plan. I'm ready. Don't be in a hurry, McDuff. Stay where you are, Ashley. Don't bother turning around. Just drop the gun. I knew you'd no let me down, laddie. I knew it. Oh, what's this, old boy? It's rather an untimely hit. Skip the accent, Birch. You won't need it where you're going. Drop that gun, I said. Before you move, shoot me with that pipe in your pocket. Marlowe, I've got your gun here in my hand, and you know it. Want to bet? Well, with the light out. Yes, Ashley! Strange thing, lad. He hit you but once, huh? but there are two lumps on your skull. You can this condition. Never mind, skip it. I don't want to talk about it. Go. Where's Ashley? Trust up there in the corner. He should be coming around soon. You see, Cornelius, as you've no doubt learned, is a great imitator. When he saw Ashley bat you on the head with a gun, yeah. he grabbed McCain, leaped up on the dresser there, and batted Ashley on the head. Oh, no. Not with this headache. Hey. Don't tell me I'm indebted to that. Just when I was learning to hate him. Hey, we both are. For our lives. Mm. But tell me, what does a black velvet ribbon and a, a watch crystal mean? You mumble that over and over while we, uh, you were out. Oh. Well, that's how I knew Ashley was a liar and a killer. See, the cab driver stepped on a round piece of glass that looked like a watch crystal with a ribbon attached. Uh-huh. Happened on the sidewalk in front of an air shaft. Actually, the... Oh, actually, the glass was a monocle. Dropped by Lord Ashley Duke. 
No. Ashley'd never been at that spot. No. But if Cornelius had, and if Cornelius dropped a monocle, it indicated that Lord Ashley Duke had been someplace with Cornelius early at night, you see? Ah. It could only be the freight house. Yet Ashley claimed he hadn't been there for two days. Oh, I see. No, you do. Oh, my head. How about you, Cornelius? <laughs> yeah, well, that's one of the best answers I've had tonight. It didn't take long at police headquarters. Maybe an hour altogether. A killer was locked up for trial, and the key witness ate three erasers, spilled a quart of ink, and broke a window before the homicide boys finally gave up. I watched the phony Lord Ashley Duke walk down the corridor to his cell. Any connection he had with man was just the category. Then I watched Macduff and company leave, too. A couple of regular guys. A monkey... The monkey's uncle. A genuine old Scott who loved life. And his shuffling friend whose only limitation was his inability to speak. But he communicated all right. In the only language that means anything. Love of one creature for another. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. As a special note of interest, Philip Marlowe fans, you'll be glad to know that radio and television Life magazine has this week named Gerald Moore as the best male actor in radio. Featured in our cast were Mary Lansing, John Daner, Tudor Owen, Sam Edwards, Michael Ann Barrett, Harry Bartell, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a case-hardened car hop knocked me down a flight of stairs. An honest woman was strangled by a green silk sash. And a simpering dandy was shot to death. All because of a run-of-the-mill traffic accident 500 miles away. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Challenge of the Yukon, followed by Father Knows Best. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.